I know I say this all the time, but I'm among friends. I've actually, coming in this morning, I said, Lord, just please, just, you know, there's two ways of coming into a party. One is, you know, being all self-conscious, and I just come by self-consciousness naturally the older I get. I just feel uh, like a milk bucket under a bowl, and there's other more crude expressions. I just feel really out of place, in the mo- especially standing up anymore. I don't know why that is, and I'm terrified. And so I, I just prayed. I said, God, just let me come in and enjoy being here. And if anything makes sense uh, today, that'll be good. I, I was a little self-conscious, again, because the last time I was with you, I talked about humility, if you remember. Um, it, you know, from my perspective, it, it wasn't highly memorable, but I, I, uh, I, I remember talking about humility and obedience. And, uh, and when I left, the, it just that whole sermon just terrorized me this concept of humility I've been working with it for some time now and it seems to come so naturally um, the older I get and so I want to just I got to tell you I am I am terrified I was actually standing back there next to my wife and I thought I wonder if I could just leave I'm sure. I, I, it, again, I'm just being. I and I know I, I say this more and more, but it's gotten so hard for me. I'm I'm terrorized at, uh, and 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 the reason is is because there's two realities in my life, and I think you'll identify with this. There's two realities going on in my life all the time. One is the goodness of God and the reality of God, the promise of God of who I am and what He's doing, and that He's going to complete the work that He's begun in me. And then there's Joel. Then there's this guy, this, 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 this guy that still, after all of these years, struggles with faith like you wouldn't believe. And I'll tell you what, man, since I left you, I don't know, it's been Thanksgiving or something. I mean, it's been terrible when, when, in terms of just struggling with faith, believing, being able to believe what God has said, especially with, with what's going on you know, politically and everything. I thought I would be way more mature by now than I am. You know, I thought when the hard things would come, uh, as they seem to be kind of coming on our nation right now, I I, I always thought that I would be more prepared. You know, uh, Daniel said, or it was spoken to Daniel, that those who know their God will display strength and take action. And in a time like this, we're talking about the last days, and I don't find myself stepping up to that. So when Lloyd called and said, hey, would you be willing to preach like an idiot? I just said yes, because I've told the Lord and my wife as well that when I'm asked, I would do it. So I'm standing up here, and uh, the only way I can get through this is to talk about another guy just like me. And his name was David. And I want to read, and then we're going to pray. Um, read Psalm 34. Because look at David's perspective in this. Two things going on, and especially as we read the prescript, or whatever you'd call it, the beginning of this psalm. Notice it says this, A psalm of David when he feigned madness before Abimelech, who drove him away, and he departed. We'll look at that story a little bit, because it's such a fun story. It's a rerun for all of you, I'm sure, but it's, it's worth it. Um, kind of like Andy Griffith. They're all good three or four times. So, um, um, but look at David's perspective. 
because David has just come out of a really, really embarrassing situation. You know, one of those situations where your face just like turns red. You're, is anybody, you've been there, you've all been there. Maybe not as many times as me. As a matter of fact, I was reminded of a couple this morning. Um, thank you, Cindy. When you were talking about the, the guy with the, the diving board. When I was in high school, this was one of the, the moments of my life that I was so terrible. I was actually thinking this morning, I would try to share some type of embarrassing experience of my life with you just so that you could identify them. And I didn't know which one. And then I realized there's such a plethora. <laughs> Two of them came up this morning before I started to preach. I was on a diving board in high school. I was like 16 years old. Now, 16 years old, look at his body. Does this look like a competition diver? Well, I didn't look like this when I was 16 years old. I had a Speedo, though, and that's enough to make anybody comfortable. So, right? And, and, and we were, this was one of my first diving competitions, and we were supposed to do this in Sunset, which is near Portland. It's kind of like Portland Heights. And these guys were the rich kids, and we kind of came from the, um, the hillbilly part of, of the county. Um, Forest Grove, we had a good FFA group in our, in our school. But I, I'm up on this board, and I, well, I, I, I'm, I'm supposed to get up, and I'm watching these guys before me, these good-looking, well-built high school kids. And they're getting up on the board, and there's an adjustment on the board that I wasn't familiar with. It, 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 there was a crank, and these guys would do it with their foot. They'd just kind of crank it out and get the board to where they wanted it. So I thought, well, uh, I don't know how that works, but I'm going to have to do that. I mean, I, I'm not going to go there and do it by hand and look like an idiot. So I get up for my turn, and I come up to that board, and I go to crank it. Well, it turns out instead of moving forward, when you push forward, it would move backwards. So when doing that, I fell off the board onto the, the swimming pool deck. Um, I didn't get hurt. I was 16. Nothing hurt back then. But people started laughing. And uh, and I was terrified. And I got I got back up. I walked around, got back on the board. I think I adjusted it by hand that time because here I was trying to be cool. And that's what trying to be cool gets you. Um, and uh, I remember going home that night, and it was raining, as it always is in Portland. And I had my head against the window in the bus, and just feeling that feeling that I have felt so many times in my life of just, I never, ever, 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 ever want to do that again. I never want to go there again. And then I forget that feeling, and, uh, and I get boastful. And uh, I remember that song we sang, um, the last song. Uh, I remember in Bible college, Lloyd tells a story about me that I, in Bible college I used to, uh, apparently at one point I, I got, there were, somebody was given a guitar part or something, I don't know what the story is Lloyd, but Lloyd says he was there and he heard me say, he shouldn't be playing guitar, I'm the best guitar player on campus, I'm saying this at that time, and I wasn't a good guitar player on campus, and I probably was the best, but, um, <laughs> Because that song, I remember leading that song at Bible college one time, and this is, by the way, at MIB, and this is a conservative Bible college, and no, you don't raise your hand back in 1978 in, in a conservative Bible institute. Well, we sang that song where I lift my hands before you as a token of my love, and nobody did, and I said, you know, isn't that hypocritical when I got all preachy, you know, I, I think I was 19 at that point. 
and uh, we should be lifting our hands. And I got a lot of grief for that, and that, you know, there was. But I look back on those things, and I'm so embarrassed about the self that has always been there. I got to tell you something: this self that I drag around, there is so much fun. And that's why this humility thing is beginning because I realize there's so much and it goes so deep. It's embarrassing to talk about pride. Pride is not an attractive sin. It isn't. Nobody likes it. And to even confess it, it it's kind of like, you know, it's like confessing something really bad. It is. You know, we like to confess um, sins like, well, I'm, I'm a workaholic or I just get up too early or, you know, you know, things that make us look good, which, by the way, is pride, too, I guess. But, um, but to confess that there is so much self. And, when I, and, and that's, what, that's what the struggle is when I get up to share. Um, part of that may be because there are two realities. Again, like we've, you know, I've talked about with you before, the, the two realities that are there in the Song of Solomon, I am dark, but I am lovely. Both of these realities are always present in our life. I really am nothing. I really am absolutely insignificant compared to the distance of other stars and the other seven billion people that I share this earth with. Considering whatever intelligence or giftedness I have, it's all very, very nominal. I'm extremely average. Just absolutely unremarkable. And maybe there's other people here that feel that way. If you do, you're probably right. You know. <laughs> We are kind of all. I'm not, I'm, just, I'm not trying to be a jerk. Um, I'm just un unremarkable. And yet then there's this gospel call that says, He sees me and loves me. Um, and calls me His son. Behold what manner of love. And so there's that reality. And there's the danger is, is when I try to somehow live up to my righteousness through the law instead of accept it by grace. Um, and I see that in Psalm 34. If you want to turn there, if you're not already there, David has just made a fool of himself. Literally, I mean, made a fool of himself in, in Gath. And as I was reading this this week, I, I, I saw this different perspective he has. I will bless the Lord at all times. In other words, my focus is now on the Lord. I will bless the Lord at all times, all the time, all the time. I'll bless him. My eyes will be focused on him. His praise shall continually, always continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast not in it itself, but in the Lord. And the humble shall hear it and rejoice. Or the humble shall hear it and understand. They'll get it. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. I love that. It's kind of a picture of, you know, the angel of the Lord typically in the Old Testament, I'm not going to be dogmatic about this, but very often in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord is, is, is very possibly a, a Christophany. It's Jesus, you know, being there. And he says, the angel of the Lord encamps around, maybe like 
uh, just like the angel of the Lord encamped around the, the tabernacle. Uh, and we are his tabernacle, his temple on earth, aren't we? The temple of the Holy Spirit. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For to those who fear him, there is no want. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves length of days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. By the way, I'm just going to throw this in there. Interesting that David says this. You know, I used to read, until you, if, if, if you don't look at that first part where it says that he, when he wrote this and what he was kind of writing this about, what led him to write this, you'll kind of blow right by that. You realize that he had just lied to Ahimelech, the priest at Nob. We'll go back to that story. So David actually was deceitful a lot. Remember who we're talking about, the guy who's writing this psalm. Is, is not a real righteous guy. He, passionate, I'll give him that, but uh, stumbles badly, and really in all of these things. But he's saying, listen, I'll, I'll teach you the fear of the Lord. Um, and I think the fear of the Lord comes from magnifying him, seeing him as he is. The eyes of the Lord, verse 15, kind of like what you were saying, um, Lloyd, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against evildoers to cut off the memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones and not one of them is broken. That's a prophecy that actually is, by the way, just on that, um, you, you do know, too, that it, it was part of the sacrificial law when they, would, uh, when they would sacrifice a lamb. It was also a don't break any bones in that. And it's interesting, kind of a beautiful thing that when Jesus was hanging on the cross, I think it's in uh, John 19, you can see it. When he's hanging on the cross, they passed by him. They were going to break their legs so that they would remember that. And they said, no, he's already dead. You know, and so there's just that, that kind of very subtle picture, but very real picture of, of Christ as the Lamb. And here's David just talking about that. Um, God working behind the scenes, two things going on. Evil shall slay the wicked, verse 21, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Father in heaven, as we... Um, look into some of these things uh, briefly um, just be our guide open our hearts to you open our eyes to see you to see who you are to see that you're with us I pray in Jesus name Amen First Samuel 21, um, if you want to turn there, 
we don't have a lot of time to go over the story, but it's such a fun story. It's just a good, good thing to remember. Remember it kind of the lead up to it in, in uh, chapter 19 and 20. Uh, this is the beginning of 10 years. David is anointed to be king of Israel, and he won't see that for 10 years. For 10 years, he's going to be running from Saul. So there's two realities in David's life, too, what he's told he is and what he looks like he is for the next, certainly, 10 years of his life. And then, by the way, after that, I mean, David has a pretty rough life. I mean, he has a tough time with his kids. He has, of course, the Bathsheba thing didn't go so well, frankly. Um, it's just, it, 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 the guy's a disaster. He really is. I love him so much, you know. I do, because it's just like, if you ever feel bad about your Christian walk, study David. Um, and yet a man after God's own heart, and one who Jesus would you know, be called the son of David. God, Jesus is not afraid, the angel of the Lord, Jesus is not afraid to be identified with us. I love that. He encamps around us. It, you know, I mean, he's not embarrassed by me. I'm embarrassed by me all the time, but he's not embarrassed by me. That he would allow me to even, you know, identify with his name. David was a, a, a pathetic failure, but anyway, he gets in these two realities. He's, he's anointed king, so what's going to happen? Nothing, because Saul now wants to kill him, and remember, he's really good close friends with Jonathan, and Jonathan says, we're going to find out whether dad wants you dead or not. Jonathan finds out, you know the story, you can go back and read it. He shoots three arrows uh, this side, and he says, go back farther. In other words, get out of here, David. Yells to David, kind of this secret little code they had, so that David realizes that he can't ever go back to Gilgal, where the kingdom is where Saul is, that Saul is a madman. And so David um, uh, apparently picks up some buddies of his, uh, um, probably losers just like him. As a matter of fact, as we go down in the story into chapter 22, it calls them all, it gives, uh, describes them by the three Ds. Everyone who was in distress, in debt, and discontented ends up meeting with him down at the cave of Adullam after all of this is over. But meanwhile, David picks up some of these lowlifes and he wanders down to Nob to where that, at that point, that's where the tabernacle is. And he meets Ahimelech, um, who is the, the priest at Nob. And he says, man, we need some grub. Uh, and he lies to him right there. He says, uh, the king has sent me on a very important mission. And so uh, we, we, we didn't have time to grab food. And we didn't have time to grab any weapons. We don't have any weapons. Do you have some food? Do you have any weapons? He says, well, I'll, I'll let you have the, uh, the, the bread of the presence, uh, which was that bread that was in the temple. Only priests were able to eat that once they put out the fresh, warm stuff. Um, and Jesus refers to this later on, too, and, and says, really, you know, it's, it doesn't judge David for doing it. Uh, Ahimelech says, well, just make sure that the men haven't been with any women. Uh, and David answers in kind of an interesting way. He says, "Well, uh, they weren't with any women, before, you know, when we were not this, when we weren't on this really specific uh, task from the king, and so they're all good." What I think David is saying is these guys couldn't get a woman to turn their head to him when they were popular, and now they're on the run. You know, what I mean, uh, don't worry about that. We're all holy. Um, so, anyway, so the Ahimelech gives them the bread. And he says, and then there's the sword, and it's behind the ephod um, there in the, in the tabernacle. Um, and it's Goliath's sword. And he says, there's none other here. And David says, there's none other like it. Probably because it's an iron sword. Remember, the, the Philistines 
this is right around the turn of, uh, of, of the Bronze Age to the, to the Iron Age, you know, and, and the Philippines were some of the earliest uh, uh, peoples to really be able to forge iron. Uh, and I suppose it has to do with, you know, they finally were able to get their temperatures up and all of that stuff and figure out how to forge iron. And, and so this is probably an iron sword, I assume, um, of Goliath, the one that David chopped Goliath's head off with. And then assume, assuming that David had donated this to the tabernacle or to the temple, you know, uh, after he uh, killed Goliath. And so he takes that sword, uh, and then he has the bright idea to go to Gath. Gath is what? The hometown of Goliath. <laughs> um, and you're carrying Goliath's sword. I mean, think about this, David, you idiot. Um, but I think what he's doing is he, he, Saul, he knows that Saul won't follow him into Gath. I mean, that's, that's the stronghold of the enemy. And it might be that David is being a little bit cocky here, you know? And so he's, he, he's going in here with his men and thinking he can kind of hide out in Gath. And while he's there, you know the story, um, some of, uh, 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 what was his name? Um, the prince of, or the king of Gath at that point is uh, Asus or Achish. Uh, some of his guys come around and say, you realize who this is here? This is David. He's come here. I'm assuming he left the sword somewhere out in the sand because there's no way he could carry that sword into the city. People would have recognized the sword alone. And he's going to probably, he might run into Goliath's widow, you know, the... Uh, she's probably there, you know, the big woman in the market. Um, and uh, so he, he's there, and, and people start to recognize him, you know, thinking he can, you know, run to, uh, to the other side without consequence. They start saying, now this is David. This is the guy that that, you know, popular song is all about. You know, Saul has killed his 1,000, and David has killed his 10,000. Um, Apparently, he's more popular than the Beatles in Gath. So he, he, he goes, oh, I'm, I'm in trouble. And he, he's terrorized by that. So the Bible says what he, he, he did is he went and he started scribbling on the walls of the gate, which is, you know, crazy, and, the, and drooling in his beard just to, to make himself look like a madman. He says, i got to get out of here. And, uh, and it's a fun story because you can just see him, you know, doing, you know, Kilroy was here or whatever or, you know, some limerick on the walls. You know, what's he scribbling? It's, it's, a, it's a fascinating story, but think about what David is feeling at this time. It's not fascinating for David. It's terrifying to him. And it's probably one of those red-faced moments. He's probably really, really embarrassed. To make a fool of yourself in front of people is a hard thing. To do it intentionally and to know you did it. For a guy like David, who, I, I understand it. Um, it it's a de devastating thing, difficult thing. I think David went in there. It's just my, my interpretation, my, my guesswork. You don't have to agree with me, but I think David went in there thinking more of himself than he ought to have thought. I can pull this off. And, um, and he was humiliated. And he realized he went to the wrong refuge. He didn't go to the refuge of God. He went to the refuge of the world. And I wonder if anybody has been struggling with that in the last couple of months when things get hard.
I'm, I'm probably just a lot worse than a lot of good Christian people my age, but I, uh, I start struggling with things. I start getting tempted and giving in to temptations, you know, like being a workaholic and stuff. Um, <laughs> when life gets hard. <laughs> Giving in to temptations to just sit and watch more Andy Griffith. Giving in to temptations, like, you know, let people go like, there's no way I'm going to stand up here and you my sin. But running to the other side, the tough side about that isn't necessarily the stuff that we do, but the heart that we do. The dangerous thing is that I lose I quit So this is why I think David, in, back in, in Psalm 34, he says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. There used to be that song we used to sing in, in Sunday school, um, Be Magnified, O Lord. And it's kind of a confusing thought, because when you think of magnifying something, you're thinking about making it bigger. Uh, that's what I do, I think, with a magnifying glass, with binoculars, you know. You're making what is normal, bigger. Um, but this isn't what's happening when we magnify the Lord. What David's talking about is like, think of binoculars, but you have them turned around and you have the big side toward you, and you have the small side toward God, and it makes him look so distant. And if somebody's looking in that way, it makes you look so big, and this is what we naturally do as humans. It's what David is doing. It's all about David. Like it's all about Joel. Instead of turning that around and saying, this isn't about me at all. He'll take care of me. He'll exalt me. At the proper time, humble yourselves before the Almighty of the hand of God, and He will exalt you at the proper time. Right? That's His job, not my job. Whenever I do it, whenever I try it, it's a disaster. And I come away feeling awful. It's turning the binoculars around and saying, wait a second, no, God is infinitely powerful. And the other problem with the binoculars turned around this side is that it makes God seem very distant. And when we start talking about the immensity and the glory of God, it's real easy for us to think of that in terms, for me, to think of that in terms of distance. Remember that old song, From a Distance He Is Watching, you know that kind of new agey song that was out 20 years ago? God isn't at a distance. When we think about God, we need to think about him being great enough to be infinite in wisdom and in power and in space and in authority and also infinite enough to be intimate with me. He is intimately acquainted with all my ways. He knows my heart. And he knows how to change me and how to fix me and how to make me an appropriate son of his. And Jesus, again, isn't ashamed to call me brethren. I remember verse 6, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. 
love that verse. Godfrey O'Rear was a, a, a teacher at MIB 40 years ago and a lovely man. Some of you might have known him or heard of him. I just remember one time uh, going out on a, on a music tour and I remember him actually preaching a whole sermon just on this verse. Uh, Godfrey was great at that. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. David is just being, you know, confessing. He's saying, I'm a poor man. I'm pathetic. Uh, but when I cried, you heard me and saved me. By the way, another psalm that, um, that David writes after this event um, is Psalm 54, um, uh, which is... Uh, I, I think my favorite verse in Psalm 54 is this one here. Um, no, I'm sorry, 56. You have taken account of my wanderings, put my tears in your bottle. Talk about the intimacy of God in, in, in the trials that we face. He, he's actually saving that. There's a, there's a statement in, in when you're a writer, a, a saying that goes like this. Uh, light writes white. Light writes white. What it means is that when everything is good in your life and everything's clicking, you don't have anything to write about. You know, you don't you don't write good songs from from a, a, a good place typically. And if you do, they're kind of a silly song in my opinion. I like a good dark song, right? It, it, it's usually the trials in life that add that texture um, to our life. I'm talking just from a literary perspective. And yet God also is writing into our life difficulties, allowing difficulties into our life. What does he say? Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Um, somehow, you know, it, it, James says it, don't be surprised uh, when you encounter these trials. God is adding texture into our life. Um, just look at the last two verses of Psalm 34. Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Um, I've been struggling for years with another confession with because uh, I'm among friends with Romans 7 and 8 I mean Romans 8 is an incredible uh, passage of scripture that I, I, I confess it's I, I don't understand it what I don't understand I understand Romans 7 the way Romans 7 ends you know the things that I don't want to do I do the things I do I don't want to do uh, oh wretched man that I am, who will save me from the body of this death? Um, I understand that. I understand that part. What I don't understand is how it, it, there seems to be a chasm from held a breakfast between chapter 7 and chapter 8 where he says, but thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So on the one hand, by my flesh I serve uh, what the flesh and by the other I serve God. But then he goes into Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. 
For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. He came and condemned sin in the flesh. Do I have sin in the flesh? Absolutely. Do I sin in my flesh? Absolutely. Is there condemnation for that? Absolutely. There was condemnation for David's sin in the flesh. Absolutely. We see that historically in his life. Do I suffer sometimes for my sin? Absolutely. Do you? Yeah. But there's no condemnation on me. Because I'm also... See what happens here? This, this happens with, with David in Psalm 34. It happens with David in Psalm 56. It happens with David in Psalm 22. What he goes through, Jesus comes into his life, participates with him. That's why there's, these are messianic psalms as well, because Jesus is with him in the struggle with his flesh, coming alongside and saying, we're going through this together. He's not out there. I don't have to go find Jesus. I don't have to... I, I need to repent. It's the only way I can really have fellowship with him. But, but he's not out there. He's not distant. When I repent, he's right here with me. And he's with me even before I repent, encouraging me to repent. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance, not the distance of God that leads us to repentance. The law, me trying to, to somehow please God enough by my own obedience so they'll have anything to do with me, it's always going to judge me, and it's the worst motivation for walking with Jesus, and it's the worst motivation for personal holiness. Eventually, you just give up on that. And we live in a community here, I'm sure. I know I live in a community and place of so many people that have given up on following Jesus because they look at themselves and they go, I can't do it. I feel like you know what. I'm not enough. How many people do you know? Try and try and got up and tried again and tried again and finally did you say I'm done trying? So that's why I'm going to say one is important. There is therefore now no condemnation. The families are in Christ. And you, when you're in him, doesn't mean the flesh is completely taken care of. Why? Or mine? Two things happen at the same time. I grow with that all for a life. I'm dark and I'm lovely. I'm a sinner. I'm saved by grace. So now I'm son of the living God. So get David's perspective in Psalm 34. I will magnify. No, I will. Um, uh, there's a song. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continue. Now you see why all the time is important. I will bless the Lord at all times. Even, by the way, when I'm a knothead, even when I'm embarrassed, even when I do the wrong thing, it's the only thing that's going to turn me out. Love is the only change agent in this world. Condemnation will not fix me. I've tried it on my wife. It hasn't changed a thing in her. And she's tried it on me. I said, you've tried it on me a time or two. You know what I mean? Judging, condemning people doesn't fix them. It actually just generally just hardens them. But love is a change agent. and So I will, my, his praise will continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast not in me, but in the Lord. 
And if you're humble enough to hear it, that'll be gospel. That'll be good news. The humble shall hear it and rejoice. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. That means turning the binoculars around the right way. Looking at him, now looking at me. And let us exalt his name together. Let's pray together. Father, so I, I'm so in process with this, as you know. So just this week, if you would remind us to look at you more than we look at ourselves, that this week we would um, exalt you, that we would be thankful for this is the will of God in everything to give thanks, that we wouldn't um, feel that we're distanced from you by our sin, but that you came to condemn that sin in us and to take care of it and to fix it. That your name is Jesus, that you would come and save your people from their sins. And we ask you to do that. We ask you to purify us, but we ask you also to uh, help us not to get our eyes on ourselves. Um, in introspection, the just shall live by faith. And so increase our faith, we ask, even as your disciples did. Increase our faith to believe that you love us. You will never let us go. You'll never leave us or forsake us. Though you are with us always, even to the end of the world, even to the end of this coming week. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.